This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast. And I am Dr. Wei Chun Wang. Hi, everybody! Excited to be here.、Uh, welcome back to another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Joey Degangji. Hey everybody! Happy to dive into another episode. We have a really cool topic today. We're going to be talking about、uh, the the importance of making data driven decisions in your business. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the、uh, clients and businesses that we've interacted with、um, have basically informed us,、um, you know, how they have trouble identifying,、um, you know, empirically validated approach to enhance their business outcomes. And we thought that you know it, it might be best for us to throw an episode together and, and kind of share our observ- observations and experiences with not only our clients but also、uh, the, the wider audience. And I personally argue, I think you know, not only just the large businesses,、um, the data-driven approach is even more applicable to small、uh, to mid-sized businesses because you know, with limited resources, you really need to make sure that all decisions that you make are well informed. Uh, by um, you know this uh, uh, data as well as the you know all the intelligence that you could gather. Yeah, and, and every dollar counts for for so much, and that's brilliant to optimize efficiency, especially as and we're going to talk about this. But as some of these digital spaces become more and more crowded, it really comes down to getting the maximizing the value for every single activity you're engaging in. Absolutely right.、Um, so we when Joey and I. Uh, we're planning for this episode. We kind of thought that it makes sense for us to use the、uh, industry of digital marketing as an entry point to let everybody understand the importance of、um, uh, you know being able to use data driven approach to inform decisions that enhance your business outcomes. And and obviously you know in talking about digital marketing industry, it is it is not a new industry. But it is an industry that has probably witnessed the biggest revolution in the past two decades, in addition to technology industry.、Um, and and I think needless to remind everybody, the advertising industry and digital marketing industry, the first wave actually came in the early '90s when the search engine uh, business uh, emerged uh, with Yahoo, right?、Um, so and it, it didn't take Yahoo. Uh, too long to understand that that is really where the goldmine is, right? So people search for、uh, different results, and you could then monitor the user behaviors, and then monitor,、um, you know, the business opportunities,、uh, and and use that as the monetization tool. 
And really the second wave uh, started in the early 2000 when you have a lot of user generated content platforms, including um, the YouTube and now you have TikTok and, and Snapchat, uh, Facebook, they're all use, focusing on user generated content. And I argue personally that I think we've slowly but gradually entered into the third wave of the revolution in the digital marketing industry in that nowadays people focus a lot more on the professionally generated content. Um, and and, and I, I also argue that this is really the result of the pivot of the traditional media because the traditional media, all those giants didn't play a major role in the first wave and the second wave of the revolution of the digital marketing industry. They were being really slammed by all these newcomers, including Google, um, uh, you know, uh, YouTube and Facebook, uh, which really, um, you know, took away a lot of their revenue generation uh, uh, sources. Um, so as an example, I, I, I would tell you that NBC recently launched Peacock, which is a new streaming services on July 15, 2020. And you also take a look at the existing uh, streaming service providers like Tubi and Vudu. They were all recently acquired by traditional media giants uh, such as Viacom, Fox, and NBC Universal. I think the traditional media identifies an opportunity to come into this industry, and they are trying to make a comeback. Now, um, coupling with what happened in the past um, several months uh, because of COVID, many um, advertisers, they actually paused their spend uh, starting in mid to late March. But we're seeing they are making a comeback in gaining their market share. They're started spending again. And this includes spending from industries such as, for example, consumer packaged goods, food and beverage, technology, healthcare, and some of the, you know, unthinkable industries that are also trying to make a comeback in terms of increasing their advertising spend, really trying to expose themselves for the next wave uh, when, the, when the economy could grow again. Um, so including the automobile industry and travel industry, um, like I said, I mean, it's still very un unimaginable to me in that I don't think travel is um, still quite possible uh, in a moment like this, but the travel industry, I think, is gearing up for the next wave when, you know, this COVID craziness uh, is done. Uh, perhaps they, they really want to make sure that, um, you know, they establish the brand equity so that people will still remember them. So all these means that, you know, um, again, uh, I'm looking at the data and we're focusing on the ad spend. And we realize that not only there is a big change in the consumer behavior, but also that behavior change is also applicable to a lot of the businesses in a very wide range of different industries. Now, taking a look of the user behavior, the audience, right? The reason why there is a shift in the digital marketing spend uh, by all these businesses, uh, I think could be explained by um, a lot of the, co uh, the, 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 the cable cutting uh, that we observe in user behaviors. Um, and I think, Joey, you could agree with me on this. You know, uh, younger generation, they don't like to pay cable fees, right? Right, right, exactly. And, and the problem, however, is that um, the, this happens even more so with the you know, younger demographics groups uh, with age between 18 to 34 year old. 
So what that means is that this is going to sustain, right? So because this yeah. age group is the mainstream and will remain as the mainstream for foreseeable future. And if you dig into the industry report a little deeper, you would realize that the number one reason households would want to keep cable TV is because of life sports. The problem is in the post-COVID world, there is not much life sports. Um, and, and our data shows that 60% of the households originally keep their cable just because of life sports. And I argue that many of those households have already now cut the course. And take myself as an example. I spend now less than $40 to watch the abbreviated season, season of MLB baseball, Major League Baseball on MLB TV right now. I don't have cable. Uh, and if you resort to the uh, research done by Roku, uh, which is another, um, you know, streaming equipment service provider, uh, 32% of the U.S. households have now cut the core or never had it. And, and by the end of the year, 45% of those who cut the core said that they expect to fully cut the core, right? Uh, because they want to save the cost. And, yeah, and really- definitely coming. And the, 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 uh, as you know it, Joey, I think, you know, how do you watch TV right now? Yeah, it's it's all through streaming services. Even, even my TV is plugged into the streaming. It's just that's kind of the way that it's working now. And a lot of the stream streaming TV services are really free. Yeah. Right. Now I wanted to make sure that we we um, provide a little bit more context. It is not our intent to just discuss the digital marketing industry. But I believe that there is something beyond the outlook of this particular industry that could be learned here. The purpose is for us um, to bring you up to speed with the observations that we made and lessons learned from the involvement of this particular industry as we believe that what happens in this industry actually provides a lot of insight as to how the business world will change in the next five years. Yeah, now with, with COVID, we're seeing all these businesses being thrust into the online world. Even though if you're not you know, in the, the digital marketing industry per se, you're still now being forced to engage in some type of digital marketing. So that means that the forces that are impacting you know, the, the digital marketing industry itself, you know, they're kind of at that forefront. But over the course of, say, the next five years, you're going to feel the, the, the ripple effect of what forces are happening right now. So it's going to start to impact all these other industries whenever they're, they're working online. So it's really good to get out ahead, start to make your decisions around some of the struggles, some of the, you know, the opportunities that the, the digital marketing industry is recognizing right now. So the three major players in the digital marketing industry are the publishers, advertisers, and the audience. And it is important for us to understand how they all interact with one another. In the post-COVID world, needless to say, you have already seen an emergence of businesses trying to take advantage of the virtual delivery method that we, we see due to, again, the limitation of the in-person uh, connection that uh, you could have had before COVID. And that includes a lot of in-home uh, instruction, remote learning programs, virtual academies, and I personally have um, seen a lot of people jumping in to create webinars or create live streaming on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. Um, so really, that fits the trait because, you know, as we see, 
user-generated content has pretty much dominated the ecosystem. But the problem with the user-generated content is that it's really hard to monitor. And it certainly is not the responsibility of the platform or simply because the, the, the platform does not have the resources to sufficiently enough to really monitor whatever is going on with the user-generated content due to the sheer amount of it, as well as you know, the concern of limiting uh, people's uh, right to exercise their freedom of expression or speech, right? So, so that, that really is the hallmark of the problem here. You have a lot of user-generated content and you also have businesses trying to monetize the user-generated content or trying to advertise on top of the user-generated content, which the businesses have no control over. And that actually puts the brands in danger because you don't know how your ads will be displayed in what types of user-generated contents. And perhaps the user-generated contents is sensitive and that'll in turn hurt your brand. And that's something that everybody wants to steer away from. Um, and, and now with the user-generated content dominating the ecosystem, the business model has, has been developed to a point that includes a lot of the really different novel ways to charge. So you have, um, you know, like YouTube, you have the, uh, the free model, which you don't have to pay anything, um, but they will display ads. But if you really want to get rid of the ads, you could then pay uh, to a, a certain fee to get rid of the ads. And so there, there is now a clear line between user-generated content and professionally generated content. So what is professional, professionally generated content? All the movies and episodes that you watch on Netflix, that's professionally generated. Everything that's published on Netflix has been closely monitored and screened by the platform. With respect to the user-generated content, you don't have that mechanism in place, all right? So the business model is clear-cut. Now, uh, with the user-generated content and professionally-generated content, there is a subscription model, first one, uh, which is you pay a subscription fee, you don't have to watch ads, and you watch all the good, con good quality contents. You also have the transactional-based uh, video-on-demand system, which is that it's like the pay-per-view, right? So you pay uh, and you could rent a movie uh, from, from the Apple store and watch, watch it for 24 hours. Uh, and there is also an advertisement-based video on-demand system uh, like Hulu. Uh, you, you don't have to pay as much, but you do have to watch the ads. Um, and, and all these business models um, have prospered to a certain point that really... Uh, form a big ecosystem that benefits all players uh, in the system. Um, the problem with the user-generated content, which is really prevalent now in the ecosystem, is that the entry barriers are so low. Everybody could come in with no professional credentials. Um, you know, they could live stream whatever they want to live stream. Um, and, and you bet Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube do not have the resources to really gatekeep um, not only because of its lively streaming, but also because of the sheer amount of the contents available in the marketplace, uh, you know, prohibit them from being able to, to be a good keeper. Right. And so part of what, you know, you, you've seen with other industries historically, 
for example, you look at uh, financial, you know, financial industry, where when when the industry itself isn't able to effectively self-regulate, you start to see this call for government to step in and add some regulations to to gatekeep some of the, in that case, the work that was going on. In this case, some of the content. And you can see that evidence now as you know you see Google and Facebook on on Capitol Hill, and so what you know we believe we're going to start to see more of is there's there's going to be uh, they're going to reset kind of that barrier to entry and have a, a higher threshold for quality content. So then the the burden falls now onto you know you as the the business owner, or the marketer, or the content creator. How do you first make effective content that's going to be you know able to sustain and be able to still be used there you know, as as we see this transition? And then the second part is how do you measure the effectiveness of that content? Because now you're going to have to put more time and energy and capital into creating this content. How do you measure, is it effective? How do you measure, are people viewing the whole content? Are they watching the whole video? If it's written content, are they making it to the bottom of the page and seeing your call to action? Or are they getting on and bouncing right off the page? All of this kind of data, it, it can be collected, it can be analyzed, and that really is going to make or break the, the effectiveness of that business going forward. Every single decision needs to become a data-driven choice. I would actually like to take a uh, pause and provide a side note here. Uh, I think, you know, from my observations, and I think, Joey, you, you would be able to agree to this, that is that there is an absolute overshooting of demand and supply for data analysts yeah. Uh, in this in, in, yeah. in this moment, you know, all these schools and programs that that try to provide, uh, you know, training modules to train data analysts without knowing exactly what the tools and results the businesses would need. Right. And, and also you also see a lot of businesses trying to hire data analysts for the sake of letting the constituents know that they are not behind the train. But but most of the times they do not know exactly what they would be using the data analysts for. As you say, you know, you can, you can calculate a return on investment, which is, is great, but that, you know, that's just a, that's just an equation. It really becomes valuable when you can turn that return on investment into something that's going to drive that future decision to improve it next time until you connect the numbers to the business functions. It's, the data analysis, it's going to be, you're, you're going to lose tremendous amount of value in that process. So traditionally, you, you do have industries like, for example, the healthcare industry, finance industry, and software industry that by default have much more data to play with. Yeah. Um, and I, I think needless to say, you know, with the medical records uh, and the insurance information, healthcare industry has a lot of information. Finance yeah. industry is backed by, you know, uh, enormous amount of financial transactions and the software industry, in addition to the sales data, they constantly monitor the user behavior and the user behavioral data is really the base for a lot of software uh, companies to monetize. Right. Right. Um, but I think now, you know, in addition to these three major industries, I think every industry and every business should be aware of the importance of data. But I think um, it's a critical point to make that not many businesses understand, uh, one, what data they need to collect, two, how they effectively analyze the data, and three, how their data could inform and enhance their business model. So how do you stay ahead of the curve with the data-driven or empirically validated approach? There's 
a lot to be done, even as small to mid-sized companies. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the ones that I think everybody is familiar with, you know, you think about walking into any brick and mortar store, you know, it's for all intents and purposes, it's the the real estate industry. Those stores, a lot of the ways that they'll work with, uh, you know, suppliers, they're selling the shelf space, the location in the store, and all that is data driven. I think one of the most commonly heard examples is when you walk into the grocery store, the placement of every single product in there, it's not by chance. There's been years and years of historical data that, that people have pulled consumer psychology experiments. You know, there, there's a reason why vendors are fighting for different shelf space. The more popular brands occupy the eye level. Um, the colorful cereals are right at the children's eye level. There's, there's a reason for that. Anything that you want to make an impulse decision on, like anything from chewing gum to magazines to, you know, any, any little snack or candy bar, it happens to be just by the register. So if you decide to pull the trigger, you can do it right there and walk out the store with it. All of that is, you know, an example of a brick and mortar data driven decision. That is a fantastic example. Um, and, and I would like to add that recently I've been given the opportunity to work with this really big software company. Um, and and I, I had the uh, uh, honor and the privilege to really observe their sales data uh, and their ad spend. And then I, I come to realize that, for example, the iOS operating system, uh, the iOS uh, conversion rate uh, or the conversion data of this particular company shows that, you know, uh, in order for the company to purchase a conversion in iOS, it could cost anywhere between two to three times more expensive than than a single conversion in Android. This data, um, we understand how we need to um, really monetize and make sure that the company is doing the right thing to push their contents and applications to the right market. Because 60 to 70% of, of this uh, company's customers reside in the United States. And, and needless to say, the iOS penetration rate is a lot higher in the United States. So despite the fact that the iOS conversions will cost them a lot more than Android, they should really concentrate their resources on really pushing uh, their solutions to the iOS market. Yeah. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, that, that difference between just analyzing, you know, just analyzing the data is recognizing that the difference in cost per acquisition but really turning that into actionable information is, is then looking at total available market, spending habits of iOS users versus Android users, where's the revenue coming from, and being able to tie that, that single uh, data point to the entire business model to figure out you know, what the most effective strategy is going forward. There's all of these other factors that have to be cross-referenced, and that's where that business understanding really comes into play. Another smaller scale example is so we have a client, uh, they want to drive content to their website. They have an online e-commerce store. And so they were looking at different types of ad campaigns that they could run on uh, Facebook, for example. And so what they were finding was that if they run, uh, you can purchase all kinds of different ad vehicles. So you can, you can ad, you know, set up a, an advertisement, like a display ad, or you can take posts that you shared and promote that content. Well, with what we found was when you promote the advertisements, you're getting a click for every 50 cents you spend. But if you promote a post that happens to drive people to the store, you can get them there for about five cents. And that's huge because this, is this small company is trying to maximize its marketing budget in an increasingly competitive online world. 
now they just found a way to, to minimize their, their cost per individual store visit. And if you're in the brick and mortar space, you think, what would it, if you could get 10 times as many people to just walk through your store, how, how much more valuable is that? And trying to find that same kind of information as you move to the digital world. Right. Especially in a challenging time like this, uh, I think yeah. every business is resource strained. So yeah. really, again, how do, you, how do you get the best bang for your buck is, uh, is critically important. Um, so I think the takeaway is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, digital marketing is now ubiquitous. Yes, we use that as an entry point to inform you how important it is to make data-driven and empirically validated uh, decisions. We really do not, do not have the luxury of ignoring the impact. Um, and every business is in the digital marketing uh, industry now, I argue, uh, whether you are a small or big business or local or international business. You can't think of a business that does not have to rely on some sort of digital marketing campaign or effort to really expose your brand image. And, and, and another takeaway is that really the data-driven approach, especially nowadays, I argue, has to be at the front and center of any business mission. Um, you can't just rush to the market and hire people that claim to be data analysts because um, you need to understand first the, what your needs are and the data that you have uh, first. You have to do an inventory check. So I think all the business owners or managers should have at least a fundamental understanding of what you have and what you want to accomplish. And you need to figure out what's missing you know, because nobody has the ideal data sets. Uh, you you want to first identify, all right, so, you know, what would be the ideal data set? And then you take a step back and try to deduct from that ideal data set because in reality, you don't have an ideal data set. So what's missing? And what could you do to possibly fill up the void and create that data analytics, not only the tools, but also the data points uh, that, that, um, that helps you make the informed decision. Um, so another cost-effective way is to really try to look at the professional service providers available in the marketplace. Oftentimes, they could help fill up the void. You know, they could provide you with some opinions. I mean, you don't necessarily have to hire them, but, you know, I think having a, a dialogue or having a network of, of people that could provide you or point, provide you with useful information or point you in the right direction would save you a lot of time so that you don't have to waste precious resources to explore the options that you have. And you don't have to commit to hire, uh, you know, full, full-time professionals before you understand what's going on. Yeah. The, you know, the ideal data set is it's, it's going to be company specific. You have to have a thorough understanding of what drives your team's economic Absolutely. engine. That's going to be different for, you know, for any company, different industries, all these different things are, you know, they play, they play an effect anyone that's worked with Google analytics or use the download spreadsheet option on Facebook dashboard, you get a few hundred data points that you can analyze. But remember all of that data, it doesn't really bring value to your business until you can figure out which ones can be converted into actionable information. And then that's going to drive your future decision. Just looking back on all of these different information points really doesn't do anything until you can use that to shape what you're doing as you move forward. Yeah, as a final note, I mean, I, I recently have had uh, more and more people that come my way and ask me to share 
you know, my observations and uh, in the business world with them. And, 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 you know, sometimes they, people, people ask me, you know, what's my take on, you know, a certain, uh, you know, big name business. And I, I really think that we are missing uh, a lot here because business news nowadays, oftentimes center around the big name businesses. I think as a business professional, you really need to try to diversify your information sources. So I think hopefully, you know, business, the business intelligence podcast could be that source that helps you diversify the information uh, uh, sources and stay tuned and uh, let us help you with that endeavor. We will bring you more valuable contents in the next episodes. Yeah. Looking forward to it. We'll dive in some other companies, ones that maybe you haven't heard of, but ones that you should be watching and really seeing the way that they're going to drive industry forward. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.